All right, let's get after it. Uh, we're starting our prayer series, but like we said before, it's not just a series on prayer. It's really an intentional time of prayer uh, for us as a church family uh, that we really want us to engage in together, and we look forward to see what God we're going to do. Uh, and I know prayer is an easy thing to make us all feel convicted. Like anytime you start to talk about prayer, I don't know if any of us, I mean, let me ask, does anybody here feel like I pray enough? Nobody? Three people in the balcony. No, <laughs> somebody looked up there and like, Really? <laughs> It's always the balcony we pick on. Uh, but no, it's so easy to feel convicted. Like any time you start to talk about prayer, it's like, yeah, I don't do that enough. I need to do it more. And we can, we can feel convicted on this. And then just to tell you, our goal is not to make anybody feel bad about the lack of prayer in their life in the past. But we do want to help us feel motivated about uh, the, the, our prayer life moving into the future. Uh, we want to see more prayer uh, amongst us as a part of our ongoing lifestyle. Now, prayer can be a bit of an awkward thing. And I know it may sound weird to hear a pastor say that. I'm just being real. Like, it's just odd. It can be like, okay, I'm talking. Uh, am I saying the right things? Do I fold my hands? Do I have to close my eyes? Do I bow my head? I mean, it's a confusing thing. Even Jesus' disciples, who were in a religious context and upbringing, looked to Jesus and said, teach us how to pray. Like, it's just can have an uncomfortableness around it and we want to we want to improve on this thing and sometimes we can think that prayer is just something for those super spiritual people you know who they are they get up early probably barefoot in the woods they always say the right thing like they're just like eloquent prayers have you ever listened to somebody pray and afterwards you felt so inadequate of praying like i can't follow that like that was just beautiful like just so poetic you remembered everybody's name like you weaved everything in there and you just kind of feel intimidated to pray have you ever wondered if prayer works i mean god's god he's sovereign he's going to do what he's going to do does it really matter if we pray or not and even in that question what do we assume works means does it mean that we got what we wanted? I prayed for this and I got it. It worked. I prayed for this and I didn't get it. It didn't work. Is that what it means to work for prayer? Is prayer just about getting God to do stuff that we ask him to do? What if prayer is really helpful in getting you to do stuff? Getting you to do stuff that you couldn't do without prayer. See, we're going to spend the next four weeks talking about prayer, but you have to understand that there's something bigger underneath the issue of prayer prayer is not an end of it in itself i don't want you to kind of have a motive like yeah i really need to get better at prayer it happens in the connection group i never really want to pray out loud it'd be good if i got more comfortable with that it's not like a party trick you can pull out like i can pray there's a bigger reality underneath our need to grow in our life of prayer it comes down to the type of relationship you either experience or you don't experience with god it's about a type of ministry we either have or don't have as a church. Now, now think about that. What if there is a type of ministry we are not experiencing because of a lack of prayer? Are you tracking with me on that? I mean, does that not stir up curiosity in you? Do you guys like Veritas? Awkward question to ask. Because some of you are like, it's my second week. It's too early to tell. I don't know. I've told you before, I would go here if I didn't work here. I love this place. I love coming, I love worshiping together, Sundays are fun, but, but what if, as enjoyable as this is, what if there is a type of ministry that we are not experiencing as a church because of a lack of prayer? Doesn't that stir our curiosity? It drives me wild. 
Like, what do you have for us, God? And we want to lay into that. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Mark, uh, Mark chapter 9. Mark chapter 9. And normally we kind of like read a few verses and talk about them, read a few more and talk about them. I'm just going to read the whole story, and then we're going to look at some observations in this account. Mark chapter 9, we're going to start in verse 14. Uh, this is about Jesus who heals a boy with an unclean spirit. Love hearing those pages turn. Here we go. And when they came to the disciples, now they is referring to Jesus, Peter, James, and John, who he took away uh, for what's known as the transfiguration. He kind of took these uh, three disciples with him on top of the mountain, and he kind of pulled back the curtain of his glory and revealed uh, who he is. So they're coming off a high, right? But they're coming back down to join the other disciples. And they saw a great crowd around them and scribes arguing with them. And immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly amazed and ran up to him and greeted him. And he asked them, what are you arguing about with them? And someone from the crowd answered him, teacher, I brought my son to you. Now, Jesus wasn't there. He didn't bring his son to Jesus. He brought his son to Jesus' disciples, which is an equivalent of bringing them to Jesus. Like, I, I brought him to you, to your people, for your power. For he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down, and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out, and they were not able. And he answered them, O oh, faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him. And when the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy, and he fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked his father, How long has this been happening to him? And he said, From childhood. And it often cast him into fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, If you can, if, if you can, he just says it once, but there's an exclamation point, right? All things are possible for the one who believes. Immediately the father cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. Anybody identify with that prayer request? I want to believe, like you're my only option. I, I've tried all everything else, like I'm struggling here, help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, you mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out. And the boy was like a corpse, so that most of them said, he is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. And when he had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. Now, sometimes when you read through, you don't just like kind of capture a story when you're reading the Bible and just like look for the big idea, but get into the words. Like what's being said? How's it being said? Like the words matter. And there's two words that I kind of want to point out to just kind of really spark some questions in me in this story. And that is this kind. What do you mean this kind? He, he says this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. Like, this is, this is a unique problem. This kind of problem, this kind of demon, this kind of situation needs prayer. I mean, this is a, a demon that has been tormenting this boy since childhood. He's in deep. 
It's complex. It's tough. Like even Jesus surveys the scene. Like when the boy sees Jesus, he kind of throws the boy down and convulses. And Jesus kind of has doctor-like surveys the situation and asks the father, how long has this been happening? Like, let me, give me some more information about this situation. Now, maybe we haven't dealt with demonic possession, but I bet we're all aware of this kind of problems. You know, it's just your kid's rebellion is so deep. Your spouse is already one foot out the door. This, this addiction is just so gripping. Like, it is so complex. I mean, we've tried everything. We've talked to experts. We've gone everywhere. Like, there's a, there's a complex and a deepness of this problem. There's a, there's, there's a challenge here. But Jesus doesn't say, this kind is above your pay grade. He doesn't come and be like, move aside. This is for, for the head honcho. He didn't do that. In fact, there was an expectation that they should be able to handle this problem, almost sounding a little bit frustrated that they, that they didn't. Look at verse 19. And he answered them, O faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. Now, I don't know how you would feel if you were a disciple in that situation. And you kind of like, hey, I'm trying the best I can here. We can't get it done. He's like, you faithless generation, bring the boy to me. Like, how long do I got to put up with you guys? Like, there's a little bit of like, I expect you to be able to do this. Now, I think that there's something really encouraging in this. And, and hear me out. Jesus has real powerful ministry for his followers to be involved in. He has real powerful ministry for his followers to be involved in. We should be dealing with these kinds of problems. Do you remember when they were teaching the 5,000 and they didn't have enough food and the disciples came to Jesus with this issue? And what does Jesus say to his followers? You give them something to eat. This is a problem you can solve. Like he empowers his people to do the ministry that he's called them to do. In fact, even in the book of Mark, if you flip over to Mark chapter 6... Jesus sends out his disciples, and it says, this is uh, verse 12 and 13. So they went out and proclaimed that people should repent, and they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. So this kind of powerful ministry is not foreign to the disciples, but they bump into this kind, and they can't do it. They're, they're having problems. They're, they're struggling here. They fail. No, that's... The encouraging part is he's saying there is powerful front lines, real ministry that he wants his followers to be a part of. Like there is an adventure for the Christian to not just play it safe and go through the motions, but like do real ministry. Get on the front, deal with these kinds of problems, the kind of problems that need God to show up and do some big things. That's exciting. Now, here's what's scary. The scary part is not actually dealing with uh, the front lines of ministry that we're called to. The, the real scary part is if there is a kind of ministry that cannot be done without prayer, it seems to suggest that there is a kind of ministry that can. And that ought to terrify us. Here, here's what I mean by that. We could probably put on some pretty good church services in our own strength. We got a pretty good band. They they know how to play instruments. I am super charismatic, right? (laughs) See, made you laugh, right? 
Like we could, we can have great programming. We could have great facilities. We could have smooth systems. You could come here and you could hear a message and chuckle and you can sing to some songs and hear some great music. You can get some coffee. You can pick your kids up. You can get away from your kids for a couple hours. Like you could have a great time at church and it could be void of any real power. And that ought to terrify us. But it's so easy to kind of slip into self-dependence. Like we just do things in our own strength. We can strategize more. We can plan more. We find ourselves praying less. And you can even do that. You can begin to build a reputation that this is a pretty good church. One Sunday, great. Did you have a good time? See your friends? Were you challenged a little bit? You're able to sing? But we'd never see this kind of ministry. That the kind of stuff that, God, if you don't show up and do something, nothing's going to happen. That's what we're called to. We're not called to just kind of go through the religious motions. Like, that doesn't sound fun at all. Like, we're called to this type of ministry. So how do you get engaged in this kind of ministry? Well, the answer is clear. He says prayer. Look at verse 29 again. So then he said to them, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. Now, like I said before, words matter. Look at what he's saying what he's not saying. He doesn't say, hey, the way that you deal with this is through prayer. That's true, but that's not what he says. And what he says and how he says it matters. He says, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. As in everything else you throw at this kind of problem, it's not going to do it. All your strategies and all your efforts and all your counsels and all the other books you read and all the things you try to implement in your life is going to come up short when it's trying to do this kind of ministry that requires the power of God to do something that only God can do. And he's saying there is a deep spiritual problem behind this kind and to deal with this kind kind is going to take some deep spiritual work of prayer. Like that's how you deal with these problems. Not on your own strength. You're going to get nowhere on your own strength. Like you remember the psalm like, you know, the, uh, the build, unless the Lord builds the house, the labor's labor in vain. They're still laboring. It just doesn't mean anything. It doesn't accomplish anything unless God is in it and God is doing it. He's saying be careful that you don't just rely on your own strength. So here's what we can conclude in this account. Their lack of prayer limited their ministry. The lack of prayer limited the disciples' ministry. They could not do something they were asked to do and tasked to do. And the same principle is true for us. A lack of prayer limits ministry. So here's what we need to know, church. There is a kind of ministry we won't experience without an active prayer life. There's a type of church we won't have without an active prayer life. And here's why we need to get that. Because I want us to hunger for that type of ministry. I want all of us to crave, like, I just don't want to come to church and go through the motions, God. I want to see you do real stuff, stuff that can't happen unless you do something. I want to see broken relationships reconciled. I want to see addictions broken. I want to see lost people come to faith. Like, I need you to do that stuff, and I want to just go through these motions. And we need to hunger for that type of ministry. And the way that we pursue it is through an active prayer life. Now, here's why I'm saying active prayer life and not just prayer. Because the text, in defense, the text says prayer. So why are you saying active prayer life when the text, and Jesus just says anything but prayer? Well, maybe you already caught on to this or noticed this. 
But nowhere in the text does anyone pray. And the whole challenge is to pray. But Jesus doesn't pray. The disciples don't pray. Nobody in this story prays, and yet it's about this challenge to pray. Now, their critique could be that when the disciples couldn't cast out this demon, they should have stopped and prayed right then. And they didn't do that. And if they would have done that, then they would have been more successful. That, that could be the point. I, I don't think it is, because if that's the case, why didn't Jesus model that before he healed him? Because Jesus isn't the type to kind of expect things from his followers that he doesn't do himself. In fact, there was a time in a miracle that he does model prayer before that. This is before he raised Lazarus from the dead in John chapter 11. It says, they took away the stone and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I know that you always hear me. But I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. He's praying to God for other people to hear, to make a point, teach a lesson. And you would think in this situation, if the challenge was, hey, you didn't pray, let's pray. Let's circle up and pray. Or let me model prayer before I do this. Like, he, he's the master, they're the apprentice, they're the disciples. I'm training you up in ministry. You didn't do it right, here's how you do it right. You would think that would be the case, but he doesn't do that. I think Mark's making a bigger point. Because when you get to this account reading through the Gospel of Mark, you see something you don't see if you just kind of parachute into this story. Because there, Mark has been making a point about Jesus up until this point. This is He starts even chapter 1. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he, Jesus, departed and went out to a desolate place. And there he what? What did he do? Prayed. How about this one, Mark 6, 46? After he had taken leave of them, he went up to the mountain to what? Pray. We get to this point, and, the, and, and already Mark has laid the foundation. Jesus has an active prayer life. Don't expect to do the ministry that Jesus calls you to do when you don't have the prayer life that Jesus calls you to do and models. Jesus has an active prayer life. Guys, Prayer is not just a means or a technique for dealing with big problems in the moment. It's not like a spell you cast. It's not just a a technique you apply in the moment. Now, yes, when moments come up and problems come up and, and crisis arise, pray, pray. You need to pray in those moments. But hear me now. If you only pray when you got big problems, you got bigger problems. You track with me? If you only pray when you got big problems, you got bigger problems. Have you ever had some of those problems or issues arise in your life that are just stressing you out so much? And you have investigated and researched and you've talked to friends and you've called family and you hashed it out and talk about it and talk about it and talk about it and dwell on it and dwell on it. And then somebody asks you that convicting question, Have you prayed about it? And you always don't like that person in that moment. Why do you got to get all spiritual on me? I'm just looking for some help. And sometimes the answer is no. Man, no, I haven't. I haven't. Oftentimes the answer is kind of. Like there was that moment where it's like, God, please help me. You know, if you can help me, could you, if you're out there, you know, kind of. But I mean, I've, I've talked to my brother or sister for hours about it and I said like one sentence prayer 
we so easily slip into self-dependence. I'll figure it out. We'll solve it. We'll get ahead of it. We'll get through it. And we forget to rely on God. Dependence on God is hard to learn in the midst of the problem. I want to say they can't teach you, but dependence on God is hard to learn in the midst of the problem. It's kind of like, you know, a method of teaching a little kid how to swim for the first time by just having that dad who just chucks him in the deep end. Kick! Just start kicking, and maybe he makes it to the wall, right? And there's like, there you go, you got it, have fun in the pool. And though that might kind of work, that's not the recommended method for teaching kids how to swim. You want to start in the shallow, and you want to get them used to the water, you want to teach them some strokes, you want to teach them how to float, so when you do get in the deep end, it's not a panic. You you can handle this. And don't get me wrong, problems can lead people to pray that would never pray. Problems can drive us to God. They can also drive us to bitterness and discouragement and frustration and conflict. I mean, what about a different question? Rather than have you prayed about it, what if the question you pose to yourself is how has your prayer life been before that issue or problem came up that's stressing you out? Might you handle that kind of problem or that kind of stress better if you've already been practicing the dependence on God? As the application of the challenge for us is, is not tricky, here's what we're calling ourselves to. Be devoted to prayer. Like an active prayer life, daily, like recognize your need for God. Not in reaction to a crisis that comes up, but know every day, I need you today. I can't do today without you. Kind of practice this ongoing dependence on God through an act of prayer life. Because I don't, I mean, looking at this room, maybe there's a variety, not maybe, there is a variety of people that have different habits and patterns of prayer in your life. Maybe you're someone that it's like, I don't, I mean, outside of meals, I don't pray at all, right? And that's only when somebody else reminds me to pray before I eat. Like, you, I don't know where you're at in this. So, so let's start smaller. Let's say for the next 26 days as a church. I don't know. Maybe we can give you a prayer guide to help you out. For the next 26 days, can we just, like, make prayer a disciplined habit in our daily life? Let's see what God does. Let's see what God does. Now, there are a few connections being made in this text that I, I think it will be helpful for us to see hopefully serve as like a motivation for us to just really lean into this time of prayer as a church. The first connection I want us to see is there is a connection between powerless ministry and bickering. Powerless ministry and bickering. What is happening when Jesus and those other few disciples show up on the scene? They're arguing. They're fighting. They're debating. They're in a heated conversation. Now, Conflict is a part of life. I get it. We're all sinners. We're broken. We all struggle with self-centeredness. You put us in a relationship. Friction happens. It's a part of life. But there is an expectation to rise above that for the believer. You show me a a church that seems to be full of uh, disgruntled people and complaining and opposition and conflict. Chances are that is a church that has forgotten how to pray. And they're probably not seeing the power of God in their ministry. James references, we're getting into this book in the fall, but it's James chapter 4. He says, what causes quarrels and causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? 
You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and you cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. So on the surface, you feel like, here's what's causing fights among you. Your own sinful desires. And at the surface, you'll be like, that's true. That is true. But he takes it another layer deeper and says, and you know what's under that? Your lack of prayer. You're not asking. And even when you do, you're asking for the wrong things. Like, you're messing up prayer. And because you're messing up prayer, you're seeing it come out in conflict in your relationships. Like, prayer strengthens our unity. And listen, if you don't have a lot of time and energy uh, to fight with the people, when you realize that our fight is not with flesh and blood, that there's something bigger going on, or, or as Paul puts it, that our fight is against rulers, against authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places, or in light of our text, against problems that demand prayer. And when you get the seriousness of how problems need to be dealt with, like we can't solve this. We need God to intervene. You stop quarreling and you start praying. Plus, you don't really feel like bickering anymore when you see God do God-sized stuff among you. So when they came on the scene, they were arguing. And they were arguing because they were not able to deliver this boy. And they were not able to deliver the boy, according to Jesus, because of a lack of prayer. So what if they didn't have a lack of prayer, and they were able to deliver the boy? What would that do to the argument? We'd do away with it. We'd do away with it. Guys, a devotion to pray will help our ministry, which will help our unity. There's also a connection between faith and prayer. Faith and prayer. Look at verse 19. He says, oh, faithless generation. That's the problem he pointed out. Then you, then you go over to verse 23. And Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible for those who believes, for the one who believes. But then at the end of the section, he says, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. So what's the problem? Faith or prayer? Yep. Which one is it? Is it, is it do they have a faith problem? You know, are they not believing? Or do they have a prayer problem and they're not praying? You betcha. And they're connected. They're connected. A lack of prayer is a sign of a lack of faith. Or a lack of faith is evident in a life that is lacking prayer. They go hand in hand. And we push back on that thinking. Because I think we've distorted the way we see faith. We think faith is just kind of agreeing with an idea. Because we can push back like, just because I don't pray to God doesn't mean I don't believe in God. Right? We can make that kind of uh, intellectual conclusion. I remember as a kid, uh, we were going to visit my grandparents and we were going to go to church. It was a holiday, I don't know, Christmas or Easter. So we were going to go to church as a family. And uh, my grandma would go to church, but my grandpa wouldn't. Um, so the adults had this great idea that why don't the grandkids ask grandpa to go to church with us? Because surely he wouldn't say no to his grandkids. Well, grandpa is this big, rough Navy guy. Um, so at dinner time, I muster up the courage to say, Grandpa, would you come to church with us? And he looked at me and he said, just because I don't come to church doesn't mean I don't believe. Which as a little kid, I was like, okay, done with that. Let's move on. Let's keep eating. <laughs> what I should have said, yes, it does. That is exactly what it means. 
Now, I'm not saying that you don't believe God exists, but what you're saying is you don't believe he's worth your time. You don't believe he's worth obeying. You don't believe he's worth singing to and honoring and worshiping. That's exactly what it means. So sure, you believe God exists. You just don't love him. Come to church, Grandpa. <laughs> Wish you would have said that. Can't go back. <laughs> but I think we mess up because it's like the, we think faith is just affirming an idea. That's not how the Bible talks about faith. When the Bible talks about faith, it's about acting upon an idea. It's coming to Jesus. It's drinking. It's eating. It's going. It's obeying. It's acting on that. And to pray to God is to express faith. To pray to God is to express faith. If I'm praying, I'm saying, God, you're out there. You exist. You can hear me. And you are capable of doing something about what I'm praying about. To pray is to express an act of faith. Faith in God is evident through prayer to God. There's another connection made in this text between prayer and power. The disciples were unable to do something uh, to deliver this boy. And Jesus tells them, the way that you do what you were not able to do or didn't have the power to do is through prayer. It's through prayer. Basically, if you want to play in the big leagues of ministry, because remember, Jesus is the rabbi, and he's raising up these followers to, to do his ministry. And he's saying, hey, guys, if you want to be in the big leagues of ministry, you better learn how to pray. Because you're going to trip over these kinds of, this kind of stuff, this kind of problem. You, to deal with this kind takes prayer. You see, you want to play here, you, you better learn how to, how to pray. Because there's power in prayer. And, and, and hear me, guys. I believe in the sovereignty of God to the core. To the core. And there are things that can't happen without prayer. That happen with prayer. Let me show you one. This is Isaiah 37. Um, I'm not going to read the whole story. You should read it. There's some really entertaining trash talk that's going on um, between some, some nations that's happening. And they're going to uh, invade. And uh, King Hezekiah, this starts in verse 14 of chapter 37 Isaiah. Hezekiah receives the letter from the hand of the messengers and read it. And Hezekiah went up to the house of the Lord and spread it before the Lord. So they're, they're going to get invaded by the Assyrians. And Hezekiah prayed to the Lord, O Lord of hosts, God of Israel, enthroned above the cherubim, you are the God, you alone of all the kingdoms of the earth. You have made heaven and earth. Incline your ear, O Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see. And hear all the words of Sennacherib, who is the king of Assyria, which he has sent to mock the living God. Truly, O Lord, the king of, the Assyri of Assyria have laid waste all the nations of their lands and have cast their gods into the fire. For they were no gods, but the work of men's hands, wood and stone. Therefore they were destroyed. So now, O Lord, our God, save us from the hand that all the kings of the earth may know that you are alone of the Lord. Then Isaiah, the son of Amos, said to Hezekiah, or sent Hezekiah, saying, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, because you have prayed to me concerning this. And then he goes on to say how they'll be spared. But the credit goes to, hey, this is happening because you prayed. The reason I'm protecting you is because you prayed. Like he's responding to prayer. Do we believe in the power of prayer like that? Do we believe in the power of God? Listen, when it comes to your prayer requests, do we act like we think God can and there is a chance he might 
And there's a greater chance he might through our prayers. Uh, you guys, you can put the text on the screen. I'll just tell you a story in the book of Jonah. Jonah goes to the pagan city of Nineveh, uh, gives this message that in 40 days God's going to destroy you. The message gets to the Ninevite king who kind of says, all right, nationwide fast or citywide fast. Don't even let your animals eat. <laughs> like we're going to put on sackcloth and everybody cry out to this God because he says, who knows? He might relent. Say, like, we don't know. He might, he can but, but a, a prophet said he's going to destroy us, but, but I don't know, just everybody pray. And God relents. Or there's another example in Second Samuel 12. Uh, the prophet Nathan tells David that your son that you had with your affair with Bathsheba, the Lord is going to take. And he just goes into prayer mode. And he's just praying, please sit, spare my son, spare my son. Spare, fasting, praying, spare my son. Well, he doesn't. God takes his son. And the servants are kind of nervous to tell David this. It's like he's going to harm himself. Like he's been praying so much. This didn't get answered. But then when he finds out his son is dead, he goes in and he worships God. He cleans up and he starts to eat something. And they're like, why? When he was a living, you, you just prayed and fasted and mourned. But now that he's dead, you, you eat and you go on with life. And what he says was, well, when he was alive, there was a chance that God would spare him. But now that he's dead, I'm not going to see him until we meet again in glory. I mean, my paraphrase. But that, that's what he's saying. Now, you get one example of a prophet telling people God's going to do something, and they plead with God in prayer, and God answers their prayer. Another example of a prophet telling somebody God's going to do something, and he pleads with God not to do it, but God still does it. Both cases, the response for us should be pleading with God in prayer. Like, we go, like do, are we people like that still? Would we fast? Would we pray? Would we call our friends? Like, I don't know. I know God can. And there's a chance he might. And there's a greater chance he might if we plead with him in prayer. Do we act like that, church? Like, people who really believe in the power of God and the power of prayer. Here's my complaint. Sometimes you guys give me your complaints. My turn. I want us to pray more as a church. I want us to pray often. Let's pray big. I want us to pray in our services. Sometimes in, in services, like I just want to, like we want to keep your attention. This is not a show. And, and I know we pray in like transition times. We're not afraid of gaps. It, it's not a transition. It's an opportunity. There's a break. Let's pray. Let's, let's just constantly be praying. When we take communion, I love to see when people group up and pray together at communion. I want us to see us pray more in our connection groups. I want prayer to be like normal. I know it's kind of awkward, but we're just, we just do it all the time. And I'll be the first to own this. I got a, a long way to go. I got to grow a ton in this area. I'm a type A pragmatic person who it's like it's a meeting let's get to our agenda what's the next thing on the list let's cross it off let's just go and I forget to pray and I hate that about myself and you should hate that about me too I need God's grace to change in that and, and you know the feel like life can get busy ministry can get busy there's things to do and we can just forget to pray 
You remember in Acts 6 when ministry got complicated and there was a food distribution problem and some people needed food were not getting food and they rose up the first set of deacons are going to take care of this problem. What did the apostles say? We need to get back to being devoted to prayer and the word. In the name of ministry demands, have we lost our priority of prayer? And guys, it's not, it's not fair to say it's a complaint because that makes it sound like it doesn't happen. I want you to know that we got prayer warriors in this church. There are people every Sunday who walk the halls just to pray. Pray to, for the kids in the classroom. Pray for what's going on in the service. Who show up on Thursday nights at Salt just to pray for the students. So it's not a complaint, but it is a desire. We need more people doing that. We need more people that just say, I'm just going to pray. I'll, I'll stay an extra hour on Sunday just to pray. I'll walk the halls and just pray for the kids in the classroom. I'll come on Wednesday night and walk around the building and pray for the students. I'm gonna, I just, we just need more people doing that. I need to do that more. My Marcy's grandpa prayed for all his kids and grandkids and great-grandkids and spouses by name every day. Every day. And you cannot tell me that that has not had a profound impact on our life. But he's dead. And I got to say, will I do that? Will I pick up that torch and pray by name for all my kids and their future spouses and their spouses and their, and their kids and you? We, be, we need that. Will we pray like that? Guys, it's how we fight. It's how we fight. And the real problems of rebellious kids and broken marriages and ugly addictions, they aren't solved by smoother kids' check-in or tight transitions in our worship. The kind of ministry that God calls us to demands that we are people of prayer. And this is what we need to remember. A people of prayer experience a God of power. A people of prayer experience a God of power. I mean, think about that. What kind of ministry does God have for us on the other side of us being devoted to prayer? What, what is this kind of ministry that we're not getting to, that we would get to if we had active prayer life in our church? Wouldn't you love to find out? Wouldn't you love to see that power of God move amongst us? That kind of ministry takes a dependence on God and you can tell who's dependent on God by who's active in prayer. I don't care what you say. You can tell who's dependent on God by who's active in prayer. Now, before we close, let's not miss what actually happens in this text. Jesus heals the boy that no one else could heal. That's been sick for since childhood. That was so tormented. Was the problem was so deep. Jesus heals the boy. And hear me. Jesus can reach your rebellious kid. And Jesus can fix that broken marriage. And Jesus can break the chains of that addiction. And Jesus can bring the lost home. Jesus can open the eyes of people who don't see the glory of Christ and show them the glory of Christ. Jesus can heal that. Jesus can restore that. And if we start acting like he can, and that there's a chance that he might... 
and that there's a greater chance that it might through our prayers. That'd be a church I'd love to be a part of. So for these next 26 days, could we just be a group of people passionate about pursuing God in prayer and to see what he does? See what he does. Now, when we go into a time of communion, we're going to start with some corporate prayer together. So don't, so don't get up and go right to the elements. I want you to stay seated and we're going to have three of our leaders come out and lead us in a time of prayer together. And then when they're done in that next song, take your time again because we've told you this before. Communion is not something we take lightly. Because when you come to take the elements of some cracker and juice that remind us of Christ's sacrifice on our behalf, do you know what he purchased for that? Access to the Father. The privilege of our prayer was a costly thing. Let's not take for granted the honor it is to cast all our cares upon him. Because in Christ Jesus, here's what we know. He cares for us. Let's pray. Father, we love you. Uh, We can say that because you first loved us. I pray that you would rid us of our arrogance that we think we can go one day in our own strength, that we can do anything in our own strength, that we would be a people of prayer, overwhelmed with the privilege that we have access to your ear through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross. And we would boldly come before you knowing that we are loved. We would indeed cast every care upon you because we know you care for us. pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.